Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head podcast with Jeffrey Hillard. Hillard is the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity in our community and furthers the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here is Jeffrey Hillard. I'm very fortunate to have as my guest today our new Cincinnati Poet Laureate, Pauletta Hansel. Uh, it's really great for her to be here and appreciate her time uh, talking a little bit about her poems, about the craft, and about some of her plans uh, as the Cincinnati Poet Laureate. A little bit about Pauletta, and then we'll get right into a conversation and listen to her read some poems. She's a Paddock Hills resident whose writing has been published nationally, and she's just now recently been selected as Cincinnati's first Poet Laureate. Pauletta was chosen from several applicants to fill the position. Pauletta is a poet, memoirist, teacher, and arts administrator who has lived in Cincinnati since 1979. She's the author of five poetry collections, and most recently, Tangle, published by Dos Madres Press in 2015. Her writing has been featured in the Writer's Almanac, in American Life and Poetry, as well as in literary journals, including Atlanta Review, Talisman, Appalachian Journal, Appalachian Heritage, and still the journal. The Poet Laureate was selected by Mayor John Cranley based upon recommendations from a seven-person advisory committee that reviewed the applications. And uh, Paulette is going to serve a two-year term. Previously, Cincinnati had an official poet uh, of the city. But in January 2015, Vice Mayor David Mann proposed reviving the position with a motion signed by four city council members and renaming it as Cincinnati Poet Laureate. A great thing, I think. Pauletta has served as writer-in-residence at Thomas More College and is currently writer-in-residence at Wordplay Cincinnati. She leads writing workshops and retreats throughout Greater Cincinnati and elsewhere. Pauletta holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Human Services from Antioch University, a Master's in Education from Xavier University, and a Master's in Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Queens University in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, she's Managing Editor of Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, the literary publication of the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative. She is a core member of the Urban Appalachian Community Coalition, and she serves as a board member for Dos Madres Press. And she lives with her husband, Owen Kramer, in Paddock Hills in Cincinnati. So, Paulette, it's a real treat for you to be here with Thank me you, today, Jim. and uh, thanks for coming over. And uh, we will talk a little bit more soon about the Poet Laureateship okay. and how that's going to work for you. But I wanted to ask you from the onset a little bit about your roots in southeastern Kentucky mm -hmm. and those things that have sort of formed and shaped you over a number of years into being mm -hmm. a poet and writer and even teacher. Okay, great, thank you. Thanks for having me too, I really appreciate it. This is a great um, podcast program that you had. I had <laughs> had the opportunity We're trying. Of, of hearing your interview with uh, Ariana uh, earlier and so really really enjoy it, glad to, glad to be part of it great. now, glad, glad, to, glad to follow on her heels. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so I grew up in uh, southeastern Kentucky, uh, like probably 35 to 40 percent of folks in the greater Cincinnati yeah, area. Right. Um, so so nothing nothing uh, sort of exotic there, but it certainly is a large part of uh, of what has shaped me and what have, has shaped my writing. Um, I started writing. Uh, actually, my parents tell me that I wrote my first book of poems when I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember that. It's sort of become part of the, the the family the family history that I couldn't I couldn't spell yet, so I could only form my letters. So I had to I made my mom sit there with me and painstakingly spell every <laughs> word of of this book that allegedly I wrote. Um, but then started writing seriously and taking myself seriously as as a poet um, when I was eleven or twelve, and I hear I remember from the interview with Ariana that that was that was the time for her as well. And I think often for uh, for artists that that period of time uh, of middle school into high school, when so many things are changing uh, both mm-hmm. internally and and externally in terms of our relationships with the world and family and you know folks that we of of the same or opposite sex that we may be interested mm-hmm. in that it's um, that it is just a time when there is really no other way to say what needs to be said except through poetry mm-hmm. you know and why you know why for me poetry um i no one else you know no one else in my family wrote although my father was uh his major vocation was reading i think mm-hmm. he was a teacher and and a minister for a while a professor but reading was his his great uh passion other than his passion for my mom and for for family, um, so books were were everywhere and were a large part of of who I was um, as as a child. Was I was one who read, but not poetry necessarily. Um, but I think I was heavily influenced by the singer songwriters of my age, and that would have been in the you know the early to mid nineteen seventies. So Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Carly Simon, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan. Uh, who were in in many they ways had poets the poets hearts. yeah they were poets they were and or they, are and yeah. are and were the poets of it, to a certain degree of po- the poets of our generation and then i tr- i found you know once i began writing i then found poets um and poetry um edna st vincent millay which yeah. who was really the only female poet readily yeah. available to me in small towns in, in eastern Kentucky. What an incredibly fascinating poet. Absolutely. Very wonderful yeah. poet. Yeah. And who spoke to things that were of interest to a young woman mm-hmm. who was, was finding herself and her freedom. My father was my first reader and my first first critic in a, in a positive way. He would always just point out what he felt sh- shined in my poetry and would sort of leave the rest alone and then I would go on. Did he did he try to did he try to gear you to think of a poem as something that rhymes or did he let you go? No, he completely let me go. There was no, you know, he was he he poetry was really the own, only form of of literature that he was not very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways that probably mm-hmm. was a positive thing. No, but I did rhyme. I mean as a young as a young writer I I rhymed to a uh, and 
road and you know iambic meter not knowing what iambic meter was necessarily right. but just that was you know what it was that a was natural reaction mm-hmm. to yeah. it, just starting out and and because my my poetry was inspired by songs the rhyme mm-hmm. and the regular mm-hmm. meter was mm-hmm. was very much a part of that but then in um middle school uh, we called it junior high then, but yeah. middle school. Yeah. I the Kentucky um, had a poets in the school program, and so there was a young woman poet, Mary Jo Eaton, who uh, came to Breathitt County, Kentucky, which is where I was living, and actually lived in our in our household for a while while she worked in the schools, and mm-hmm. that opened up a whole new, you know, new way of thinking about poetry and new way of understanding what and who poets could be, um, just sort of regular people who wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been my, my theory throughout, is and that poets are people who write poetry. She probably also yeah. empowered this kind of freedom of thinking, too, mm-hmm. and independence of thinking, which is what we are as well. Yeah, uh, yes, and helped to free me from some of the restrictions that I thought that poetry, you know, needed to be, that mm-hmm. there needed that there needed to be rhyme and, and meter. Um, and, um, you know, gave, not that I necessarily needed permission because I was using my life as, as the basis of a poetry, but in a sense gave permission to, um, to yeah. think about um, the poetry of, of having... Um, a freedom of subject matter yeah. and being very personal and, and speaking my own truths to the world. On the heels of that, when did you first begin to consider yourself, well, at least competent enough, quote-unquote, to begin, say, sending poems out, um, to begin thinking of publishing as something viable for you? Very early, um, and I what combination of reasons for that um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not certainly positive. I mean, one was that books were so much a part of my life, so that mm-hmm. when you write something, it's supposed to be in a book because yeah. that's what all those books are there for. Um, but also, um, Mary Mary Jo Eaton's influence um, mm-hmm. would have been there as well because part of what she was doing as, as part of her work was to encourage um folks to publish their poems and there were my, my first publication was actually as a winner of a scholastic magazine <laughs> contest um and but that then, was a big deal it was a big deal and i got like 50 dollars for it i it mean was, you know it's just a big deal now if i get 50 dollars for a poem for, heaven, for oh heaven's God. sakes that's right yeah but also um there were several uh, anthologies of 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 writing from uh poets and from the from the the from the the youth and and the children that poets in the schools work with, but it was also and this is this is kind of a you know where my life in a my life as a child or a girl intersected with my life as as a mature poet now. Um, it was also the beginning of this renaissance of Appalachian writing that um, Gurney Norman, uh, who is uh, a, a well-known mentor and writer and, and poet, and most, actually mostly fiction writer, but mm-hmm. former poet uh, laureate of Kentucky, was coming back from California at the time, having been part of, you know, Kesey's Merry Band and, mm-hmm. and sort of all of the, the beat activities that were happening there and wanting very much to um, help 
form a, a community of Appalachian writers. And so the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative, which you mentioned as uh, earlier in my, in my bio, was just beginning to form in 1974. And as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old writer, I was invited mm-hmm. to come and be part of um, part of that of that community. I published in um, Mountain Review, which was a literary publication of Apple Shop, which is a, a cultural arts and media mm-hmm. center in, in Whitesburg, Kentucky. Also there met um, the um, one of the professors at Antioch Appalachia, who at as a 15-year-old uh, I was a 15-year-old, not him. He he recruited me to um, you know to, to consider coming to uh, to Antioch Appalachia in Beckley, West Virginia, where there was also a writing community that was was formed and being formed of of teachers and and uh, students and community members in that area. And so I started publishing really very, you know, very early from I went to I dropped out of high school and went to college at 16. And mm-hmm. we had a literary journal and a, and a small press that published chat books of, of, of our mem- members. We were the soup bean poets mm-hmm. of uh, Antioch <laughs> Appalachia. Um, so for me, very early, this idea of of writing, of forming community around writing, of publishing as a community and within a community and beyond was part of, of who I was. And it's still part of who that I am. Core, that core was fairly strong even when you were 15. Mm-hmm, it was. And it was growing stronger almost each year. Yes. And look at it now. It's expanded, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, the nature of Appalachian writing um, is is not necessarily as much bound by regionalism as it is more inclusive inclusiveness of different writers who maybe have gone on to other, live in other states, right. but who have still a sensibility. Right. right. It's very interestingly opened. Yeah, it is, and it you know from from the beginning, the at least the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative, and I think some of the other communities of writers uh, as well were about writers and, and communities in the region defining themselves rather yeah. than being defined yeah. by by outside um, ideas of mm-hmm. what it meant to be an Appalachian yeah, true. or an Appalachian writer. And so that was that was very helpful to me because if it had been um, if there had been a sort of a, a restriction around subject matter or, you know, types of writing, then I think as as a young you know, a young woman, a young woman writer, that, that would have been very damaging to me. And yeah. even, you know, even at that, there certainly was, it's, I think that there were, there were pros, there were pros and cons of publishing and being in the public eye mm-hmm. so early, because I was writing about very personal material that I had not necessarily kind of come to grips with as a human, you know, being, yeah. living, you know, as a as an embodied person living, living the life um, that I was living. And I, um, you know, one of, one of the things that I said that I wrote actually after a 30, or not a 30 years, after a 10 year silence in my 30s when I came back to writing again um, about that silence was that my pen was older than I was. Mm. And I think, wow. uh, you know, I believe I believe that, and I also believe yeah. that 
that our poems are smarter than us, mm-hmm. you know, that they know more uh, about mm-hmm. our lives and what's around us than, mm-hmm. than we may allow ourselves to know when we're living our daily lives. But the disconnect uh, between, you know, sort of a, a 15, 16-year-old, 17-year-old sort of self-consciousness and um, the inner wisdom that one taps into or universal wisdom that one taps into in, in writing was sometimes a little too wide, mm-hmm. I think, for me. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you've got a new book, I do. Tangle, mm-hmm. published by our beloved uh, Dos Madres yeah. Press. In beautiful, beautiful book, Thank you. as always with any other publications. I would hold it up to the microphone so yeah, your listeners could see it. Everybody needs to go out and get work. a copy of <laughs> Tangle by Pauletta Hansel. Um, and this is the, the most wonderful poetry press in, in the country. I'm, I'm biased, but Absolutely. I think it is. Absolutely. And you know what? And, I'm actually working with them now to uh, help create an anthology of yeah. the first, uh, first 10 years. It's going to be something else. Press. Yeah, right. Uh, so you have that. You want I to? Did. Would you? Let's listen to some poems because your voice is so fascinating, okay. and the subject material is wide ranging, and your your use of language, uh, you know, differs a lot. It's it's varied, which I think is really special. Well, thank you. And since we're talking about um, about the girlness, then maybe what I will do actually is to is to be, begin with a girl poem. Um, <clears throat> Okay. Called Girl Villanelle. She's still there, that girl, the one I was and hoped to leave behind. I am forever loosening the ties. The only life she could imagine for herself was one she'd heard already in a song. She's still there. That girl took more than her share and left scattered on the table all that could have fed her. Hell-bent she was on loosening the ties. I am not ready yet to claim her as my own. She thought her body was the price of being seen. She's still there, that girl, bound and shivering inside her own smooth skin. I'll say for her what she could not. That's how I'm loosening the ties and slipping through the doorway from the past. I won't return alive, though she's still there, that girl. Me, I'm loosening the ties. That's such a lovely villanelle. And, you know the 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 recurring lines are so transparent, and yet that music is so wonderful. It's just so natural. Thank you. This poem actually, this is, I don't write a lot in form, um, although I've actually have started started doing a little bit more with. I've been working on a, a sonnet series about my mother. Uh, but this poem actually began as free verse, mm. and then when I was working with uh, with a, a, a group, I, I teach uh, community classes, and actually was teaching at Thomas More at the time as well. But I think it was one of the community classes that I offered as a prompt, uh, a villanelle, and that we should all bring a poem that felt uh, unfinished, mm-hmm. that we felt like mm-hmm. we just couldn't make that final breakthrough. And so I brought the free verse version of this, and um, and found that the you know the, the, that the lines lended themselves mm, to to repetition, and that it and felt like it worked as a villanelle in a way that it didn't as free verse. Maybe something about the um, restriction, since mm-hmm. the poem is somewhat about being 
you know, sort of a, a there's a restraint mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. it, a, a sort of an ability inability mm-hmm. to move forward around the content of the poem. So the yeah. the form, the Villanelle form, may have then bit been a perfect fit for it. Yeah, I, don't know. It could I never have been really thought whole, about that. It could have been now. there the whole time, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was waiting for you to find it. It was, and I did. I hope, anyway. I found this. It found me. I don't. I'm not sure which <laughs> happened. <laughs> So shall I read a few oh, a few more? Yeah, sure. Okay. I want you to read. Yeah. And, any um, any ones in particular that you're interested well, you're in? you're fascinated in dreams, mm-hmm. and um, you know I love that poem. There's I love them all. I love the haunting. Okay. Um, because it seems like it could have stemmed from a dream, and many writers that um, I know, of course, uh, love dreams and. Uh, respond to them a lot in their mm-hmm. art. Yeah, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of similarity between poetry and and dreams. Oh, yeah. That there's it's that a dream is 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 our first um, uh, foray into metaphor yes. as poets, yes. and it's and for for many people who don't you know who don't necessarily move into into poetry or other forms of of metaphor. It's mm-hmm. still it's it's we dream in metaphor, mm-hmm. you know. It's mm-hmm. it's every every night we're all sort of seeping it's, down into into the the place of of symbol and and uh, letting our our sort of unconscious tell us the that things other we door need to unlocking know. that we're not yeah. uh, inclined to think is going to unlock when we're asleep. Right, right. Um, and it does. It does. The haunting. All night in dreams, I banish ghosts. My voice a jagged tear across sleep's veil, cut wide enough for my husband's hushing hands to gentle through. Come morning, spirits linger, pressing up against our windows, ice that maps the warm breath of our house. I can't remember who they are who come to haunt me, why I push through sleep to drive them out into the shattered night. So maybe I'll read um, another poem that is somewhat dreamlike, um, but it's also a kind of ars poetica, which means a, a poem that's is a, a poem that's about poems, yeah. basically. Um, it's called "The Door Is Round and Open." Yeah, great poem. And the title of of the poem, uh, as well as the last line, are quotes from a wonderful poem by Rumi. The door is round and open. Some mornings the poem is waiting for you, sits on your sleep-damp chest like a well-mannered cat, watching for one eye to open before putting a paw on your cheek. I'm here. Other mornings you are ripped from sleep, the jagged edge of dream caught in the wound you will learn to call poem. Most days you must rise in search of it, The poem, grown weary of your constant slumber, has clambered through the only open window, buried out beneath your garden fence, into the world beyond. Don't go back to sleep. Wonderful. So you mentioned, too, that you have some new poems um, that you've been working on. And, of course, you're extremely close with your mother now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... um, 
And you, you've been working on a set of poems. Uh, were they sonnets or? They are. Uh, it's a sonnet. I, it's a sonnet sequence. Yeah, there. These these have got to be very new, which really entices me a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear some of them. Great. And what you're doing. Great. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, their creation, kind of how you're constructing it. Well, it's I teach a, a class, a community class, actually at Thomas More College called From Draft to Craft, and I'm lucky enough that people keep coming back semester <laughs> after semester, which means that I have to like just keep thinking up new keep, things <laughs> to be able to, uh, to to challenge them and myself. And mm-hmm. so I was uh, I was doing some some you know thinking and reading about what that might be, and came across the idea of, of doing a sonnet sequence. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that even though I write in, in free verse primarily that that when I'm stuck that moving into some sort of form even if it's a really loose form um, can help unstick me because the part of me that that you know is like worried about what I'm going to say is over here sort of counting syllables and lines and you know counting on my fingers to figure out <laughs> what it, what's next and then the other part of me can be free it keeps so, us fresh I yeah, think I think it does yeah if we if we write a lot in free verse going back like I tell my students going back mm-hmm. and writing something in traditional form I think helps sharp helps sharpen me personally mm-hmm. yeah um, and it gets me to even pay even closer attention right. to certain line formations mm-hmm. and rhythm and it doesn't always have to stay in the it does form. not and that's, no. you know and that's it's true good, but for me the the idea of the sonnet sequence really worked and i did keep them in the form and they do loosely rhyme and they're mostly iambic um and it is about my mother who um mm-hmm. has dementia it's called the body above it one we cannot see what she sees At night, dark insects slip inside the shoes our mother will shake out come morning. Her bedside clock runs backwards. We cannot smell the burning lingering around the box of ash and bone that was our father. To us, bread only tastes of bread. Hmm. We lay fleshy cheeks against the rumpled angles of her face, whisper goodnight, then come to visit her again, taut skin and buds of breasts just rippling our tie-dyed shirts. We are more real to her in dreams than hovering near her in our clumsy bodies, refused entrance to her world, slowly crumbling behind her mind's locked door. And I'll read the second one uh, just to get a sense of, show a sense of how it moves. Two. Just inside her new nursing home's locked door, my mother lists awkward in her wheelchair, adrift, one sock and both cloth shoes scattered helplessly behind. I bend to gather them up and say into the ear that holds her last remaining hearing aid, you are my diddle-diddle dumpling, forever hoping she will remember the rest of the rhyme. It, too, is gone, no later alligator, no afterwhile, sunk to a bottomless bottom, nestled beside some days my name. Now my mother rubs her heel and whispers, maybe to me, it is dying. Your foot, I ask her. No, the body above it. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, in terms of, of how you arrive at a poem, whether it's in, the, in these new sonnets or not, um, what do you hear first uh, as a poet, or what do you see first in terms of, of starting a poem? You know, it, it really depends. It often will um, start 
with a story. I mean, mm. I am I am narratively based as a poet, um, not always, but mostly. And so, because I am I am often writing about my own life, there'll be something in particular that, you know, that that triggers some story that triggers. And in, in the case of the last poem, it was that little story that I was telling. Yeah. That, you know, my mother my mother rubbing her her heel and and saying it was dying. And then the whole kind of sequence before that. Um, so it may start with the story, and then I'm looking for the best way to tell that story. That poem actually, both those poems actually are others that started as free verse and then kind of got shaped into sonnets as a way, as a way I think to to have the tension between the you know the very personal narrative storytelling material and a very specific form and mm-hmm. and uh, shape to help hold that which hopefully then brings it out of sort of mm-hmm. pathos into, you know, in, into into art. But anyway, that's, I guess, a different thing. Um, so it'll start with a story. It may, it may also start with a line. Mm-hmm. Um, but often for me, it is story. And then the question is how, you know, how to make that story poem, basically. That's fascinating. So it could be a story that goes back all the way to your your very young days that mm-hmm. maybe your grandpa told you, your grandma, or yeah. something that was passed down from them, mm-hmm. maybe to your mom or your yeah. dad, and they told you. Yeah. Or you so yeah. so that, that the oralness of that culture mm-hmm. has has just completely informed your art. I think, I, mean, I think so to a certain degree. And also, you know, kind of going uh, back to those singer-songwriters singers, of, yeah. of the, you know, of my youth and of the ones that I love now, too. Right. They They're, are often narratively based. Dylan's always telling a story yeah. somewhere, even in uh, the, 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 maybe mm-hmm. the, the strange lyrics. Um, that you know, they're they're always telling yeah. a story. That's great. And then the story itself is is held up as a metaphor to be something yeah. larger than yeah. than just the story itself. Uh, one of the things I'm actually doing now is working with material, written material from my mother. We had no idea, but in the year after my father died, she wrote like 400 pages of letters wow. to my dad, which included the story of her life, her, yeah. her memoir. And so I'm. So what are you doing with that, that now? Well, it's digitizing. I'm well, we d- actually, down. I had friends. Yeah. I had friends who were were kind enough to to help me type it up and to and I, you know I provided it to my gave it to my family for for Christmas last year. But now I'm working through it and trying to figure out how to make my own uh, my own art, my mm-hmm. own poem mm-hmm. from her, you know, with her story mm-hmm. as the basis. So I'm. I'm working through some of that. Um, you know, that some of it actually has shown up in the sonnet series. I've also written a few other poems in in a in a voice that I'm you know crafting, but it's in my mother's mm-hmm. my mother's words, her her voice in a, in a sense. Although of course it's a crafted it's, voice. It's going to be an ongoing project. It will for be. a while. Yeah. I wanted to ask you too about you know the the new great honor that has been bestowed upon you as Cincinnati Poet Laureate. And could you talk a little bit about maybe some things that others don't know um, about with respect to what you're planning to do, what maybe some some expectations might Mm -hmm. be or any of those things, any programs that you have 
that, yeah. you're, that you're thinking about? Right. We're just at the beginning, but what, what I was asked to do was to create a vision of, of what a poet laureate uh, might be and then was, was chosen. Uh, I'm very grateful based on that vision. And so my idea is, it, you know, and it goes back to my roots of sort of writing as community, and it's, it's uh, that the role of the poet laureate should be to connect uh, the people of Cincinnati to poetry, mm-hmm. but also connecting people to each other through poetry. Through poetry. And right. so what I hope to do is to offer a, a series of writing experiences throughout the city, uh, probably focusing on the city's recreation centers and senior centers if, if they're willing to, to host me and to have me. But there's also plenty of other great organizations that I'd be delighted to work with, including working with you at the library, okay. if, if that, no if that sounds like fun. No problem. We can do fun. anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but to get people writing about their relationship to, to place, uh, and the place being Cincinnati and whatever else is on people's minds. And then one of the things that I love to do when I write with people is to take uh, take lines from everyone's writing and create and co-create a group poem yeah. that speaks to all of us. And so seeing that as being a way of, of getting, you know, poetry, getting people writing poetry and then using my role as poet laureate to help get the, get their words as well as my as well as my own words and words of other mm-hmm. other poets that may or may not be in the city but who would speak to what's happening um, for us as, as a community so using using social media to do that um, but also looking for other ways to get poetry out that there I think it would be really cool if city council meetings would start with a poem absolutely. You know? You know, the, and what dawned on me, too, is you have a great front row seat, so to speak. You can be in an advocate position mm-hmm. now, even toward the po- even to the politicians. Right. Yeah. So there could be some kind of really fascinating, innovative way mm-hmm. that um, since that door is widely yeah. open now and you've gone through it, yeah. where um, a politician or politicians can actually uh, get behind you know, the nature of poetry, yeah. we even speak about it from yeah. their own role. That's that's right. Something yeah. we totally aren't used to. Yeah. You know. That would be that would be really cool. And I and I uh, So you've got a two I'll you've got a two year yeah. arc, right? Uh-huh. I think I so. Right. You you have a lot of of, of opportunity to <laughs> plan sort of things out you know, and implement them in, in decent time. And to get a sense of what it is that would be most helpful. So they're kind of leaving it up to you mm-hmm. to kind of come up with something fairly, you know, logical or, or uh, doable. It's going to be an amazing thing. So, Well, thanks for thanks for coming Thank today. You, and uh, this has been an Inside the Writer's Head podcast with Pauletta Hansel, our new Cincinnati Poet Laureate. And uh, thanks for listening. More next time. You've been listening to Inside the Writer's Head podcast with Jeffrey Hillert, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence. This podcast was recorded in the library's Makerspace. Use the Makerspace yourself at the main library or at the Reading and St. Bernard branch libraries. The podcast was mixed by Adam Baker. Special thanks to Kimber L. Fender, Sandy Bullock, Missy Dieters, Kate Lawrence, and Chris Rice and to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. Also, thanks to the band Amphibians for providing the song Sharp